Welcome to the C3 Silicon Valley Church Podcast. Senior pastors Adam and Kira Smalcom are so excited to share this message with you and believe that God will speak to you through it. Here at C3SV, we know that God has the best in store for you today and every day. Who's ready for the Word of God? Let's get into some Bible time. I'm excited to preach this message. Um, We have been in the series called Not Religious, Neither Are We. It's a series where we've been really contrasting the idea of religion versus grace. And I want you to turn with me real quick to the book of John. We're going to go, I'm going to read from uh, the Gospel of John today as we ultimately focus on Jesus. That's, That's the aim. In fact, that's actually the aim of this series is to really reveal more of Jesus and allow that revelation of who Jesus is to get traction in your life and actually, actually, you know what? That's just the job of the pastor. My job is to constantly point you towards Jesus, reveal more of who He is. And as, you know, as, as a Bible teacher, I am constantly and profoundly impacted by the life of Jesus and just who Jesus is. As you read and as you study and you, you learn more about, about Him, even the way He interacted and the way that he, he, he reached people and the way He reached into lives. We read in Luke 15, one of the most profound Bible passages in the Bible, these three parables that Jesus tells about the, the lost sheep, the lost coin and lost son. He, he, he just, he rattles off this deep teaching that for years we have expounded on and we've preached from and, and that we continue to get revelation from these, these three parables that, that so articulate the, the kingdom of God in, in, in such great detail, the different aspects and different elements of God's kingdom and grace. And, and we, we expounded, but we, we failed to rem- remember that Jesus just did that in the moment. That he didn't go away for three months and prepare a thesis on God's kingdom. He, out of the overflow of who he was and grace, just grace personified. Grace is not a subject. Grace is a person, my friend. And Jesus is grace. And so profound is he that when he, when he spoke in the moment, everything that flowed from him was life. There was no contradiction in him. And so you can't help but when you study Jesus to fall more in love with him. And so that's, that's my aim as as uh, really in this series and as a, as a pastor is to keep pointing you towards Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We're going to get into this word this morning and I want to read uh, our series verse before we do that. If we can put that up on the screen, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship. Everyone say Workmanship. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a piece of work. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not that we just should, that we could. I love that we've got access to walk in good works. That's what grace did. Grace gave a plan for our life. Grace gave a purpose for our life that we can walk in it. Not that we have to try and earn it, that God gave it. We can just relax and walk in the plans that God prepared beforehand. This is really good preaching. But you go, it's warm up. For all my note takers this morning, I have entitled this message, Not Religious, Neither Is Jesus. Not Religious, Neither Is is Jesus. And this is part one of a series that we're going to continue right through to Easter, uh, come Easter Sunday. And I can't encourage you enough to invite people Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is, is going to be the day. So make sure you come, make sure you bring people and uh, we're going to party together on Easter Sunday. So I'm going to give you a few quick points this morning. 
That's going to contrast religion, grace, and it's going to make us fall in love with Jesus even more. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege. Yet again, it is to be around your word. Lord, we consider it a privilege. Lord, to to Lord, to dive in, to get revelation, Lord, to teach your word. Lord, I pray that you would do what we cannot do. God, would you add your power to this today? Add revelation. It's, it's illumination we seek from your word, God. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through everything in your name. Amen. 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 Just want to start off and, and ask a quick little question. Is, and, and that is, how many people here would consider themselves skillful? Any, any skillful people? Don't be shy. Don't be humble. This is not the humble time. This is not humility hour. Be bold. Anybody got some skills? Anybody consider they've got more skills than others? You just know it. You just know that when the skill allocation was given, you, you reap the benefits. Anybody? You can be proud of it. Yeah, hello. I like that. Yep. Nirvana's just like, mm-hmm. Yep. So... I, I kind of, I thought that for a long time myself, to be honest with you. Growing up uh, as a kid, up until the age of 12, I considered myself a skillful person. But at 12, it all came crashing down because, because how many people have ever heard of that arcade game, Skill Tester? Anybody know the game Skill Tester? Just my Australian people. Great. Skill Tester, and I don't know what you call it here. You probably call it Game of Torture, but, but it's this... <laughs> It's this game, it's like this cube and inside are these stuffed animals and there's a claw that you have to move and you have to like, you know, you have to clench things and you have to pick it up and, and it just torments you, you know. As you play it, the longer you play it, the more your soul dies. You're just like, this doesn't work, you know. And I can remember my, my encounter with this for the first time was when I was about 12 years old. We, we used to go to this, this arcade called Time Zone, so appropriately named because all time and space would just disappear in time zone. And we would wait for our movie. We'd go and, you know, waste some money at the arcade. And I can remember this one particular time, this brand new game uh, called Skill Tester came out. I thought, this is brilliant. Always wanted to know my skill level. So I, I took it on. After about $18 of trying to, to, and I could have gone out. I realised afterwards, at the end of the day, I would have spent over $30 trying to, trying to get this stuffed animal that probably cost 60 cents, right? <laughs> probably even less. But I was in there and I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm putting all the coins I can in. I'm just feeding this machine. And you know, it's, it torments you because it would go over, it grabs a, a stuffed toy, it pulls it up. And then just as it hits the top, it just releases it, you know? And it's like, oh, and there's just something about it that makes you think, I can do this. Time and time again, I, I can do this. And I remember I got to the point where I was literally in there, in this arcade, asking grown-ups as a 12, nearly a teenager, as a 12-year-old kid, asking grown-ups for money to feed my habit. <laughs> How many people know that sounds like gambling, right? And we, 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 go to, we go to Chuck E. Cheese, right? The great phenomena, American phenomenon, Chuck E. Cheese. And Kira, my wife, calls it casino for kids because there is no clocks, there's no windows, and they just keep taking all of the parents' money on the, in that place. But let me correlate it like this. That skill tester is so much like self-righteousness because religion will set a bar here for you to attain and you will spend all of your efforts, your energy, your skill trying to obtain it, thinking, I can get that. But when reality is, you can't. It's impossible. You can't make it. You can't do it. You're not going to do it time and time again. You will try and you will fail. And that's like self-righteousness. Here in this 
chapter in, in John, we've got this incredible story of, of Jesus performing a miracle. This is Jesus' third miracle that he, he performs in his ministry. Uh, before it, there is the, the first miracle, the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns the, the water into wine. The second miracle is where he heals the official son. Each one of these miracles has an aspect of salvation to it. First miracle is about the word under salvation. As Jesus spoke the word, uh, Mary said, whatever he says, do it. The word he spoke, they, they do it. And the word can enact salvation. The, the second miracle is faith under salvation. As he, as he spoke the word, the official son was, was, was healed. He said, by your, by your faith, your son has been made well. And here we've got a, a story whereby under grace, salvation comes. And here we've got this incredible story in John. We're going to read from John chapter Five, the story, the setting goes, Jesus has just come back to Jerusalem. He's come to the city for a festival, a very well-known Jewish holiday. And I don't know if you know this about, about Jesus, but Jesus liked to party. I love that about my Saviour. He's a party kind of guy. If there was ever a Passover, if there was a dinner party, if there was a festival, Jesus was there. In fact, Jesus was that awkward person who would invite himself. He'd be like, hey, hey, Levi, hey, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your place tonight. Let's eat. I'm adapting that. I can just, I mean, I picture, I picture like Zacchaeus's wife, like freaking out. Like, I didn't get prepared. You know what I mean? And, you know, if you can blame Jesus, then you get away with that one. But I might try that one, babe. Next time I just randomly invite people over. Jesus told me. So anyway, John, John chapter five, verse one, it says this, after This, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. How many people know this is a pretty bizarre story? Here we've got this scene, the situation where Jesus is about to reveal uh, salvation through grace. And you know what? As we've been working through this series, we've been really contrasting the idea of law and grace. And what I've, what I've found when we look at the law, the law itself isn't bad. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 7. He's like, hang on, the the law has a purpose. The law's intent is not bad because if it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known coveting was bad. But because the law revealed coveting, sin entered into my life and it forced me to covet. Therefore, I knew how far short I fell from the measure marker of holiness. You know, when when uh, Moses gave the, the law, when he gave the, the Ten Commandments, he, he gave it because the, the people of Israel said, all that you have said, we can do. That's where self-righteousness came in to, to the Israelite nation. Before that, they were dependent on grace of God. They, they were dependent on God's grace over the nation. But from that moment, as soon as the law was given, they said, everything you've said that we can do, we can do it. And from that moment, condemnation came in because they couldn't do it. They couldn't meet the mark. And this is what law does. This is what, what self-righteousness does. Self-righteousness, thinking I can make it like the, that skill tester, which I can try and try again, but I will inevitably fail. What it does is it produces condemnation in my life. 
Condemnation results in separation. Not from God towards us, but we pull back. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we, we should be able to worship God. So the law itself isn't bad, but it has a negative effect when I allow it to separate me from God. And I like this scene because it's so symbolic of law living. It's so symbolic because here we've got this, this pool that was a, a pool that, that, was, that was one time, or we don't know even how it could have been one time a year. We don't know. It just says periodically an angel would come and stir the waters. And as the waters would be stirred, the first person in would be healed. Limited to one person. One person in would be healed. And I think it's so crazy that in the same way back in the Old Testament, the way that the presence of God would work, it would be one priest one time a year that would be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And that was the limitation. That's the, that's the covenant of the law. The old covenant is a covenant of condemnation. It's a covenant of separation. One person, one time a year. And this is what this pool represented. It represented performance-based healing. That I have to, it's all about my performance, my ability to be the one person. It's limited grace. The fact that there's healing there, there is, there is grace available, but it's limited grace. It's the same with self-righteousness and the law. If I can attain it, if I could deserve it, if I could earn it, but that's how we think. And here we've got this perpetual cycle of sin. This is what the devil loves to do. The devil loves, he uses our our life and our perpetual uh, sin cycle to reveal how far short we fall from God. Or how far short we fall from the standard of holiness and the standard of righteousness. This is what the devil does. It's like this treadmill. It's like this hamster wheel that we're constantly on. We, we, we feel like I, I can make it. God, I'm going to resolve. I'm not going to do that again. We, make, we beat ourselves up. We get on this pattern and this cycle of, of self-discipline. How many people have been there? Yeah. Rhetorical question. We get on this pattern of, well, man, thought life or, or actions or we say something and we trip up and then we say, man, my resolve is, God, I'm not going to do that again. God, this, this time I, I can do it. And we, we make this, we grunt down and we bear this resolve like, I, I'm going to do it. But I got to tell you this, this is, what, this is what the devil does. The devil wants to get us to a point of hopelessness where we realize we can't do it. And then what he does in that moment is he heaps on condemnation. I got to tell you, Jesus wants us to get to the same point, but instead of heaping on condemnation, he wants to heap on a reliance in him. That in that point of realizing, you know what, I'm not worth it. I can't make it. I can't do it. Jesus, I need you. It's really good. And here's the thing that we have, we have been accused of as a church, we've been accused that because we preach grace, we condone sin. Now, I've got to tell you, God is against sin. God is vehemently against sin because God wants to disarm the enemy of the tools that he has in our life. Because when we have sin in our life, then the enemy has accusation towards us. But, the, but God wants to disarm the enemy of accusation. And so, so what you've got to understand is when, when, when people 
kind of accuse us of condoning sin because we preach grace. You, you have a complete misunderstanding of grace. Jesus came to set the sinner free from the bondage of sin. He didn't come to celebrate sin. He came to set us free from sin. Romans 6.14 says this, Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the law or the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. What's that freedom? That freedom isn't to do whatever I want, as some people misunderstand grace. Well, now I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. I can live how I want. God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace isn't freedom to do what we want. God's grace is freedom from the bondage of sin, the bondage of of being in that place of separation from God, from from condemnation, from self-righteousness. Come on, that's, that's the freedom that God brings. Write this down. Grace doesn't give me freedom to sin. It gives me freedom from sin. So here we've got this story and it's, it's setting the picture of, of law living. It's giving us an, a, a physical illustration of what, it, what the law requirements is or this is how law living operates. It's, it's about attaining salvation by our own efforts. And I think about this setting here with the pool, the lame people, the five porches that are, that are surrounding this pool, that, that you can just picture the, the lame people that would have been sitting there strewn across these porches. That if they could have gotten into the water, into the pool as the water was stirred, they would have been healed, but they couldn't. In the same way as, as sinners, if we, if we could keep righteous in our own efforts, we would be righteous, but we can't. And so we've got this picture of, of this pool and you can just imagine, and I think the setting is so dynamic and, and I don't often use correlation to numbers and, and words and all that sort of thing, but this is, this is so powerful because the word Beth, Bethesda means house of grace. Okay, in this picture of law living, we've got, we've got the name house of, house of grace over this area. In the same way, there are five porches and the five, five is we know the number of, of grace. And it's positioned and located at the sheep gate, the sheep representing the lamb that was slain to give us access into grace. I think Jesus is trying to drive home a message, friend. We've got this grace message that Jesus is trying to drive home. It's not by works. And I, and I think about this scene with the, the, the crippled, the lame, the hurting, the broken that would have been surrounding this pool in the heat of the sun. You've got these porches where they would have taken refuge from the heat, but, but still trying to, to have the skill set to empower them to, to, to access the water at the right time. And you've got this, this rush, this mad rush that would have taken to get into the water at the right time. But I think about that and, and not even the most deserving or the most, the most needy would have actually received that healing because they would have been the ones that would have found it most difficult to get into the water. No one's helping each other. But in the midst of this, Jesus comes into this scene and He brings grace. He brings this this grace perspective. He says this, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. For 38 years, this guy's been hopeless. And in this action of grace, Jesus Jesus comes to him. He wasn't more deserving than anybody else. It wasn't by his performance. Jesus just chose him. 
grace. And he says to him, do you want to be made well? I love that question. I love how Jesus just asks the obvious all the time. He says, do you want to be made well? And this is my first point. I'm going to just fire him off. First point is capability versus availability. See, in the midst of this scene, Jesus chooses him and, and, and so conditioned to law filter, so conditioned after 38 years of trying to, trying to make it on his own, trying to get to this pool, he, he responds with a, with a filter because this is what religion does. Religion is based on capability, what I can do. Grace is, is, is based on availability, what Jesus can do. The, the power of heaven, what he is able to do, what he has done is available to me if I just receive it, not earn it. And so what he was looking for was help where Jesus was offering healing. And the sick man replies this. He says, he says Sir, I, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water's stirred, I, I, can't, I can't do it. But while I'm coming, another person steps in. Someone always beats me to it. In other words, I can't. And this is the very key to freedom. The realization that I can't, the very thing that the enemy wants to use as something to bring condemnation in our life is the same thing God wants to use to empower our life. The revelation, I'm not worthy. I can't earn it. I can't do it. Jesus says, fantastic, His grace. His grace. Jesus says to him, rise up, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. This is point number two. I told you I was going to fire him off. Point number two is power versus performance. Capability versus availability. Power versus performance. Jesus' command to get up and walk came with it, the required enablement. I want you to, to picture this scene as the waters were stirred periodically. We don't know the time. We don't know how long. The Bible doesn't. Say it's not specific, whether it was once a year, however often, but time and time again, they would try in their effort to, to reach the, the water and it conditioned them to performance-based healing. Performance-based healing, making a resolve. Whereas Jesus was introducing power-based healing. This is what grace is. Grace has power. Paul says in Galatians that the grace of God will not be without effect in my life. In other words, the grace of God will change me. It's not just a concept. It's not just a good thought. It is something that I've applied to my life, not just at the point of salvation, but it sustains me through my life. The power of God has and will continue to take effect in my life. It's not going to be without effect. In other words, don't go back to that old kind of thinking and old kind of living. Romans Chapter 3 says this. I'm sharing some scripture with you this morning because I need you to hear the Word of God, not just my words. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. I love this because Jesus, on response to this, says, it says, it says, the Bible says that he did this on the Sabbath. Now, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is, it is a Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your mat. 
They, they focused on religion. They, they focused on the breaking of the rules, not how did you get well. But he answered them, who, uh, he who made me well said to me, take up my bed and walk. And then they asked him, who was the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But, but the one who, who was healed, he didn't know who it was. And Jesus had withdrawn because there was a great multitude of people in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you've been made well, sin no more, lest something worse comes to you. I like that in that moment, he was driven out of a response from receiving grace from God. He was driven to worship God. Grace brings change, okay? It just, it causes you to, when you've really experienced grace, you can't help but just glorify God. It's a natural outworking. When, someone's, when someone says, man, I've received grace, but I still choose to live in sin, you haven't had the real revelation of grace because grace produces effect. It produces a result. But don't clap just yet because I haven't got time. So it goes on to say this, sin no more lest something worse will come upon you. Now, now this has often been misunderstood and misread that people believe because of his sin, he was the way he was. So, so you know, don't sin because, you know, you, you might be paralyzed. You know, it's like, I, I don't know why people conjure that up because it, it fits our self-righteous thinking. But what Jesus was saying, He's identifying that for 38 years, He'd been conditioned to law living. For 38 years, He'd been conditioned to performance based healing. Jesus is like, don't go back to that kind of living. Don't go back to that kind of thinking. Don't fall into the trap like the religious leaders want you to fall into. It's about circumcision. It's about performance. It's about all these rules and regulations. It's by grace and grace alone that you were saved and how you will salvation will work out in your life. That's what Jesus was saying. I don't have time. I don't have time. Pattern versus privilege. That's number three. That Jesus was pattern, yeah, pattern. Jesus was revealing that there was a pattern in his life, but but grace is a privilege. Oh man, I could preach that. Um, the pattern of sin that we can fall into. I'm not going to preach it. Galatians two says this: For I, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is grace, my friend. I tried to keep the law, but it condemned me. So I died to the law. I chose to not live that way anymore. I chose to trust that this new life by grace, I'm going to live by that. Not just experience grace and then go on living under law. I'm going to experience grace and live under grace. What does that mean? That means when, when the enemy tries to creep in and bring accusation into my life, I'm not going to let him. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So I'm now under grace. And I know this people here that you've been conditioned to a certain style of living. You've been conditioned to a certain way of thinking and it's been this habitual habit, this cycle of sin that you've been on, this treadmill that you can't keep, seem to get off and it keeps time and time again. Habits, addictions, patterns that you feel like I'm just subject to and I can't beat it. Yet you'll try resolution. I'm not going to do that anymore. But then you find yourself back in that place the very same hour, the very same day. Am I preaching to myself right now? But I got to tell you, the Bible says, whomever the sun sets free is free. Indeed, there is real freedom by grace, my friend. Not by you being better, doing better, earning more. It's by the free gift of grace. It's crazy. It's scandalous. How do we receive it? We just receive it. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. Don't pattern yourselves to this old way of thinking. Pattern your lives to 
grace. Thank you for listening to today's message. We trust you heard from God and that you're more encouraged, more refreshed, and more in love with Jesus than you were before. If you ever find yourself in the Bay Area, we'd love for you to come and attend a service. For more information about C3SB, please visit www.c3sb.com.